Hello and welcome to another episode of The Voice for American Law Enforcement here on the America Out Loud Network. I'm your host, Randy Sutton, retired police lieutenant with 34 years of service, the author of A Cop's Life and the soon-to-be-released Rescuing 911, The Fight for America's Safety, and the founder of The Wounded Blue, the National Assistance and Support Organization for Injured and Disabled Law Enforcement Officers. I have a special guest with me today. Sheriff Joe Lombardo, who is a 36-year veteran of law enforcement and has been the Clark County Sheriff for, oh, just about eight years. He is running for the position of Governor of the State of Nevada. Welcome to the show, Joe. Welcome. Thank you. It's my pleasure. Hey, listen, did you say 34 years of law enforcement service? I, I've done 34 years. That's correct. R- rookie. <laughs> 36 for me, buddy. Yeah, 36. Well, you're still serving. You know, I, I retired a little while ago. <laughs> so um, you're running for the highest office in the state of Nevada. You've been, you 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 ran as a, um, uh, in a Republican right. party, and you are in a very contentious race with Governor Sisolak. Correct. So let's talk about, first of all, let's talk about your law enforcement career. Why you why you decided to to be to go for the office of sheriff first of all, which is a huge position, and then uh, then we'll get into the governor's race. Sure, absolutely. You want me to start from the beginning of time? Let's start from the beginning of time. Let, let <laughs> How the, the watch know. the wristwatch was made. So, <laughs> no, I, I appreciate the time, Randy, and I appreciate the question. And I think it's important for people to realize who I am, and you know, and the reason why you would even have me on the show, right? Exactly. I think it's important. You know, there's a lot more to it than just saying you're in law enforcement for 35 plus years uh, and all the nuances that goes along with it. So if we back up, uh, um, I ended up in Las Vegas, Nevada in 1976. My dad was in the United States Air Force and he got transferred out at Nellis Air Force Base and did a little bit of time in the military upon graduation of high school, and then subsequently went to the university here locally uh, for a a bachelor in science degree. Upon graduating with that, I had some military obligation I had to complete, and then I deferred my enlistment to be in the Nevada National Guard here locally. Um, I worked as a civil engineer out in Garden Grove, California uh, for a short period of time. And I did a, fortunately, I did a ride along with a buddy of mine um, Jim Moses uh, was the individual officer who was on the police department, and, and uh, I was hooked. I was hooked. You know, I had a boring job as a civil engineer, and and I, you know, it only took me a ten-hour shift to determine that was my career path. So I subsequently uh, tested for LAPD and Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department at the same time, and uh, they both called at the same time. Um, but when I had the opportunity to go back to uh, Las Vegas and join LVMPD in 1988, uh, that was my decision. So, you know, I, in, in LVMPD, you have to start, uh, I don't want to use the word the bottom because if that, it is at the bottom. You have to start at the beginning, I right. guess is a better term, and that's in patrol, uniform patrol. And every time you promote at LVMPD, you go back to uniform patrol because that's the backbone of police work, right? And, and what we do in, in policing and society. And so I worked in patrol for a short period of time, uh, tested for narcotics, and uh, 
was successful in a test. And that's where you and I met, remember? Exactly. Uh, I did all the work and Randy took all the credit. <laughs> 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 uh, but it, it was hard for Randy to be an undercover narcotic uh, detective because he, he likes the limelight so much. So... Um, <laughs> I, that, if I remember the, correctly, that's for your listeners. They used there. to call me backdraft because I got burned so much from being on cops yeah, so exactly, many times. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I, I did a significant amount of time as a detective in narcotics and eventually tested for sergeant, was successful, worked as a sergeant, went back to narcotics, uh, tested for lieutenant, I was successful. I was the liaison. My first assignment as a lieutenant was. Uh, Northeast Area Command uh, Patrol, and then I went in to be a liaison for Sheriff Bill Young. I worked out of his office, tested for captain, was successful, went to Homeland Security, um, did a little bit of time in search and rescue, and then subsequently um, kept moving up the ladder. You know, deputy chief in charge of patrol for quite some time, Homeland Security again, uh, SWAT and support ops, and then eventually moved up the ranks to uh, the decision point of whether I run for sheriff or not. And to be quite frank with you, it wasn't on my radar. It wasn't on my radar. Uh, Doug Gillespie was the sheriff at the time, and he uh, uh, had informed me he was going to run for a third term. And I I was at a point in my career as a assistant sheriff. I was like, eh, I think I'm, I'll get you through your election, but I'm going to go back out into, you know, the private sector. I, I have a very extensive background in construction and spec homes, and I think I'll just go in a different direction. I think I've achieved everything I wanted to in law enforcement. And so, unfortunately, or unfortunately, he <laughs> came to me one day, hey, I need to talk to you. And I said, what's up, boss? And uh, he says, I've changed my mind. I'm not going to run for sheriff and I want you to run or at least consider it and so I took quite some time I don't know if you remember all that back then you know there were a lot of people were jumping into the race when they heard Doug Gillespie wasn't going to run and right yeah I think there was a total of 14 or 15 when it was all said and done and you know and eventually I made the decision I figured I had the support I, I knew I had the the bandwidth to do it and the resume to do it and and you know what public service was in my blood and, and you know and i still had uh, the wherewithal and the, the gumption and and the and the ability to get the job done and, and you know and, and, you know when you when you grow up in an industry right no matter if you're there a year or 20 years you say hey, if i was the king for a day this is what i would do right <laughs> exactly. so i had some things in the back of my mind this is what i would do and that was part of my campaign. So here in Las Vegas, for your listeners' um, understanding, we're a merged police department, right? The city and the, and the county are together. Did that back in 1973. So the sheriff here is the 800-pound gorilla, right? The big dog right. in in southern Nevada. We have a, a the employee population is 6,000 employees, approximately 6,000, with the 1.3 in today's numbers, 1.3 billion dollar budget. Uh, so it's a it's a huge responsibility to be the sheriff here in Las Vegas, and I ran and was successful, and now I'm in my second term, the end of my second term, and here we are today talking about my run for governor. So wh why the hell did I run for governor, right? That's of, that, lot, you know. Lot, lot so that's the, that's the question because I mean you have you've achieved uh, you know the the highest level. Uh, in law enforcement in in uh, in the county, that's a huge job, as you said. I mean, the Metropolitan Police, I think, is the ninth largest police department in the country. 
Yeah, or I think it's a little bit bigger now. So, so, so it's 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 a massive job. You could you could walk away right now with a big fat pension and go on about your life. Right, right. And yet you want to continue. You want to continue to serve. Right, right. And so, yeah. So we come to a decision point, right? I have to decide whether I'm going to run for a third term. There's no term limits for sheriff, um, other than stress. And uh, yeah, right. <laughs> so, um, do I run for sheriff again? Are there still some lingering items out there I want to affect some change with, or do I go into the private sector? Maybe get back into building homes, or or do what everybody else does around here, become some corporate security uh, official in the casino industry or or continue to serve. And, and then some significant event happened here in Las Vegas, in the state of Nevada, in the country, in this thing called COVID. And, uh, and we had a, a governor who was inexperienced in dealing with crisis, um, in my opinion, liked, liked being called governor, didn't like doing governor. And, he made some very poor decisions, in my opinion, in response to this crisis, the COVID crisis. And he, he was picking winners and losers, couldn't justify yeah. the decision points and everything else that goes along with it. And I said, hmm, I see the state I love because I've been here for 46 plus years, you know, and, and all the things we built in law enforcement and in the safety environment for Southern Nevada uh, going down the drain. And and so I said, I, I, I know I can do a better job. I know I can do a better job. And then I'm not ready to retire. And I'm, I don't want to be a corporate security guy, you know. And, and uh, I think, you know, service is in my blood. And it's a continuance of service and affect change at a larger level. Affect change at a larger level. And, and the proof is in, in, in my resume and my experience and execution and dealing with crisis and you know, that's what you deal with in, in law enforcement. So it's a seamless transition, in my opinion, um, because all the nuances that you deal as an executive in law enforcement uh, repeats itself as as the governor of the state. Yeah, and granted, you, you've there's had, some more stuff to it, but... Have you not had um, continual relationship with the governor? I mean, when you're talking about being the, the highest-ranking uh, official in Clark County as law enforcement... There had to be a lot of interaction between the governor's office and you. Absolutely. Um, how how it, it doesn't seem to me from from you know uh, my viewpoint from an outsider as just a, a citizen that he's been really supportive of law enforcement. It's kind of been you know not I haven't I he hasn't impressed me at all with his uh, with his support of law enforcement. No, you, you hit the nail on the head, and he hasn't. And, you know, and the proof's in the pudding, right? It, it could be rhetoric or um, just anecdotal because I'm running against him, so I, I could agree with your assessment. But the, tru the truth is, is his actions or inactions uh, support your statement. Uh, so uh, uh, during his time as governor, uh, we had an interesting event happen, and I, I believe it was George Floyd, right? And you've seen um, certain aspects of the different political parties uh, jump on that, and, and they started that rhetoric of defund the police, right? Right. And, and you know, and here in the state of Nevada, uh, you never really heard that defund the police uh, statement, but they did it other ways. They did it other ways by lack of support for the police. They wouldn't say it uh, because they thought it would be some political, you know, landmine for them. But how they did it was is all these. 
a very detrimental um, assembly bills and senate bills of state legislators um, that made it very difficult for cops to do their job all right and made it a lot easier to be a crook uh, right. to be honest with you and be frank with you um, and you know all the things that goes along with preventing us for have the ability to do our job so you mentioned that we had a relationship right we we had a relationship but all along during that relationship because he was the chairman of the county commission responsible for 60 percent of my budget so i had to have a professional relationship with the guy right so but during all that time we had different initiatives tax initiatives sales tax initiatives that come forward so we could hire cops and he was always a no vote a right. no vote a no vote because he didn't really care about the police he didn't care about police he cared about his career and 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 social programs that were garter votes for him in his you know his career path so he gets elected governor george floyd happens and he he actually came out and did a press conference because there was a lot of uh, special interests in in town that were were complaining about my tactics and addressing the protests and and uh, Randy Sutton and everybody else that live here, their rights are as important as the people that were protesting. And that's the attitude I took. And, and subsequently, um, we didn't have the trouble or the, the angst or the strife that other cities experienced in that space. And, and he was uh, derogatory about it. And he said, and, you know, and they started talking about systemic racism in law enforcement. And, and he was, he was. He jumped right on the bandwagon. He jumped right on the bandwagon, jumped right on the bandwagon, uh, which was a, a definite surprise to me. And you talk about communication. So the head law enforcement for the state and, you know, speaks for all the law enforcement in the state needs to have a relationship with the governor and all the things we deal in crisis and in law enforcement um, as a daily uh, pattern. Um, so I made the decision to run for governor, right? And as soon as I did, uh, I no longer communicated with him. No longer back and forth communication. So he he would send he would have emissaries call me and everybody else. <laughs> but that just shows you the the how shallow the the thought process is and and the benefit for the whole state, especially in the law enforcement space and what they're required to do for for communities um, for him to just shut off communication shows what he stands for. You know, um, as a commentator on law enforcement issues, uh, you know, Are on, you? On, a, <laughs> on, a, on both, uh, you know, a national basis, um, the, the George Floyd riots that ripped across this country um, tore cities apart, billions of dollars in damage, uh, lives lost, uh, police agencies that literally bled people um, and, and, and to this day, we are seeing and feeling the ramifications of those riots. Las Vegas didn't have any of that. There was a couple of, of protests, and unfortunately, um, a police officer was severely injured during one of those events. But you didn't see the lack of control that happened all over this country with an anemic police response. My guess is that wasn't by accident. No, it wasn't by accident. And, and, and there's a couple reasons behind that, and I'm glad you recognized it and, and you made statements reference it. It was what I said earlier, Randy. It's, you know, you, your rights are as important as anybody else's rights to express their, you know, First Amendment ability to demonstrate and, and whatever their concerns are. Um, so it, it's an equal playing field. And I, I looked at it from that paradigm. And fortunately, in, here in, in Las Vegas, 
I don't kowtow to the city council or the county commission. And unfortunately, because a lot of those police departments you were describing where there was chaos and, and officers getting injured and the public uh, destruction of private property and all that occurred, um, some of those police chiefs are my friends, right? right? And, mm -hmm. and I know what they stand for. I know what their backbone is about. But because they 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 have to answer to a particular government body, whether it be a you know you know city council or county commission, whatever it is in their jurisdiction, uh, they were hamstrung. Uh, they had their hands tied in that response. And yeah, they wanted to respond the same way I directed the troops to respond. Yes, uh, but they didn't have the ability to do that. And sometimes maybe you have to stand up, you know, and. And, and and take the heat and you know you might lose a job for it but you have to stand for what you believe in absolutely and and, uh, and, and the case here is is we we weren't gonna it wasn't gonna be tolerated yeah we did have a modicum of issues you know some dumpster fires and I think we had a couple businesses I get a, uh, some destruction uh, but in totality our response and the issues associated with our response was very minimal um, and people soon got the message yes and that's yes. that's the one thing, one one small benefit of the internet and and, and and all the social media platforms is they get the message out quickly right the crowdsourcing and they say hey don't mess around in Las Vegas all yeah. right because the cops are gonna take you to jail um, but let, let's talk a little bit more about the entire uh, judicial system you know a lot of times cops they do a good job and then the judicial system fails them right either you have a weak da or you have a strong public defender or you have a, a weak judiciary the judges don't take care of business because uh, they're worried about re-election whatever the the model is in the in the state that they reside in that's all part of the of the law enforcement community and we did we had a strong da here um, you, you hear about the ones that get recalled and, you know, attempted to recall in L.A. and the guy that got recalled in San Francisco is because they were weak and they didn't stand for the people. They were more worried about being woke or whatever the word may be and, and, and more concerned for the, the felons and the, and the crooks versus the victims. And we've seen the detriment across the United States. Absolutely. You see that in the crime numbers now, and, and right? So, so we're going to do a little plug for Steve Wilson right here. Okay, good. <laughs> okay, because, right. because even though he is a Democrat, he's a Democrat with, with common sense and never lost his never lost his understanding about public safety. Right. And uh, so, you know, uh, Steve Wilson, uh, you and I have both known him for many, many years and both in, in a lot of different capacities. And uh, in fact, I'm going to probably invite him on the show oh, as well. Good. He'll come uh, on. He's not afraid of you. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, but the reality is that that the government response has to be cohesive. Right. So that means that the governor of the state, that means that, that the, the uh, leadership all have to work together for the public safety. And this is what makes me insane is, is nationally we've been seeing the the public safety diminish because of the politics. And this is what I've seen from Sisolak as well. His lack of, of caring, it seems, about the public safety and allowing the diminishment. You know, it, but like I said, we haven't had the insanity that many states have had with the, with the wholesale destruction. But still, um, you know, you know it from, from your interactions with the governor. That, that there has to be a comprehensive and cohesiveness 
amongst all levels of government. How are you as the governor going to um, uh, have relationships with the, with the uh, state legislator um, body and then with the law enforcement community? Have you given thought to that? Yeah, that's a great question. And it's presented to me on more than one occasion. And, and the bottom line is communication. Randy, it's communication, the rise and fall of any organization, no matter what it may be or what profession it is. If you fail to communicate, you fail to lead from the front, you fail to listen, uh, you're going to have failure across the board. And, and, and what I've seen is he he leads from his basement, similar to our, our current president. And, uh, and what he does is, hey, you guys make the decisions. If it's a bad decision, I'll I'll have the ability to blame you, right? Um, because <laughs> right. you you brought a bad decision to me versus communicating it on the front end, and that's something I pride myself on. You know, when I see some issue coming out, down, you know, down the tunnel, the train coming down the tracks, and it needs to be addressed, instead of hiding from it, you, know, you address it, you know, head on, communicate about it, and then look for solutions with the help of your folks, right? There's no reason to stand on an island by yourself. And that's what he chooses to do. He chooses to stand right. on an island by himself. But 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 let's back up, you know, the 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 problem with law enforcement or the issue with law enforcement, every societal ill across the board, whatever it may be, mental health, homelessness, you know, hunger, whatever it may be, you know, um, we get to blame for. Okay. For sure. Right. And, and how do you how do you fix every societal ill? You call nine one one, right? Right. Right. Because we can't walk away. We we're duty bound to show up and do something about it. And 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 unfortunately, sometimes the the ground pounding police officer doesn't have the tools to deal with it. And but and if it's dealt with wrong, because we have to be one hundred percent right one hundred percent of the time, <laughs> exactly, right? Exactly. Even though we hire from the human race, right? Um, they they Monday morning quarterback us and blame us for all of society's ills, but the entire judiciary system is responsible for that. You know, the the arrest and the investigation, the, then the eventual prosecution or the defense and the incarceration and the sentencing and everything else that goes along with it is part of the problem. And, and that's why these kind of shows, your show, gets that voice out. And so people have to understand it. Because if crime goes up, who are they blaming? The cops, right? Of course. They're not blaming the people that make the bad laws, right? right? Or don't support the police. If we're in an officer-involved shooting and, and and you didn't shoot him in the knee versus killing him, uh, you're at fault, right? Um, because you don't understand how to deal with the threat because you do it from your couch, right? And it, it's really easy to money more than quarterback what we do as a profession. And I think it's important for leadership to be front-facing and say, yeah, here, I got your back. I'm going to support you, right, wrong, or indifferent, uh, and we're going to work through the process. America Out Loud beats to the pulse of our nation. We know when you're angry, you're troubled, confused, glad, and thankful. We know you because we are you. Join us as we explore the most important issues of our time. We are America Out Loud Talk Radio. Liberty and justice for all. While many things we hear are lies, we know one thing is true. Viruses exist and people get sick. Look, there's no guaranteed way to keep from getting sick, but there is a way to reduce your chances. 
Cofix RX, the original povidone iodine-based antiviral nasal spray that you hear Dr. McCullough talking about, provides an additional invisible layer of protection from colds, flu, coronaviruses, and more. Click the banner ad on americaoutloud.com and use promo code OUTLOUD for 20% off. Stay protected with Cofix RX. Trouble getting to sleep and staying asleep is infuriating. Your mind races, you toss and turn, and the harder you try, the harder it is to drift off. And today's fast-paced digital age makes it tougher. You're not alone. Poor sleep affects over 70% of us. The CDC even labeled insufficient sleep a public health epidemic. Advanced Nutrition Company, Healthy Cell, created REM sleep to help you quickly fall asleep, stay asleep, sleep deep, and wake refreshed. Unlike other supplements that don't work, REM sleep is not a pill. It's a gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed ingredients, supporting all four stages of sleep using calming herbs, amino acids, and sleep hormone support. Over a thousand reviews with an average star rating of over 4.4 proves it works. Take back your sleep. Go to HealthyCell.com and use limited time code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Risk-free. Love it or your money back. Guaranteed. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD. I want to bring up uh, something that that, um, you probably are unprepared for, and that is um, the benefits for law enforcement officers. When you and I both hired on in, during that era, there was a retirement system, the public employee retirement system of police and fire, which granted the ability to retire with 25 years of service and then or 50 years, 20 years of service and the age of 50. Right. Right. When well, you could retire at any time, but that that gave you the ability to retire without penalty, without penalty. Correct. Right. Well, that has been changed. Right. And now. And and by the time a police officer's got 25 years of service, that his body or her body has been beaten and bruised and emotionally and mentally, you know, there's there's issues that take place uh, that are that that you know diminish their their ability to live a uh, a, a productive normal life. So, unfortunately. The state legislator um, raised the age so that a cop has to work 30 years in order to get a retirement that was that he, that he would have gotten or she would have gotten with 25 years. Right. Is there anything in the future, should you become governor, where you're going to address that? Yeah, you know, you're not painting me in the corner, so don't be, be afraid of that. I, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly because um, the legislator is making a decision from their desk, Right. And they're in a, in a sterile, stoic uh, environment, and they don't understand. It's hard for them to quantify us being on the streets for 25 years, either physically or mentally. Right. You know, you didn't mention the mental aspect of it. And it's my job as the governor to educate them on that. Right. And the and ability. So because it ends up being a business decision versus. Uh, a decision of of wellness for us and uh, you know because they look at the purse system and well this will help balance out the purse system because people are working five more years you know whatever whatever it may be it's my job to educate them and that's why it's so good for me being in law enforcement for 36 years right to know that yes and if there's flawed legislation that comes forward i have the ability to veto it 
or bring legislation forward that benefits us in that space. And, and I'd be proud to, to sponsor a bill like that. You know, the, um, the, the current uh, recruiting system that we have um, across the board, across America, um, there's been a crisis. People simply don't want to be cops anymore because of all of the insanity that law enforcement officers have faced. And, um, and Metro is, is also, Metro is, is heavily recruiting. How has the, this, this current crisis affected the, the uh, Metro and the law enforcement community here? 70%, and I'll explain what 70% means. So we measure everybody, everything by how many people stand in line, right? Uh, when we do a recruiting effort and then the eventual testing, you know, the, the, the number of people that stand in line to take the test, the physical agility test, the aptitude test, and, and the psychological test, everything goes along with the testing and the hiring of a police officer, there's 70% less people standing in line. That is a frightening number. It's a huge number. And, and the reason why it's frightening on an average, it's it's usually, mm, I would say, one per 50. It used to be one per 100, but now it's one per 50 of applicants. So every 50 applicants, we get one viable candidate. So when you're down 70% of those people standing in line, it really hurts you. Yeah. So fortunately, because we have such a good reputation at Las Vegas Metro, uh, our vacancy factor is only about 7% right now. If you look at different... Um, departments around the state if you look if you look at north las vegas you know 50 percent vacancy factor uh henderson 40 percent vacancy factor state police 35 percent vacancy factor so it, it, i think it all boils down to the support mechanisms and the leadership that's endemic to those departments and and whether people are willing to take the chance you know or deal with society that doesn't support them and go to a department that will have their back. And that's so. I, and I so I, for for the viewers and the listeners, I, I, I want I I can't emphasize enough how important that last question was, because um, it, leadership is the key to uh, to, to the effective um, abilities to recruit and retain cops. All right, yep, yep. you haven't seen the wholesale retirements or people quitting here right. and recruitment while it's diminished because of the national issues the department itself is not suffering like many many departments across the country with 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 uh, as you said a, a vacancy ratio that is that's untenable and that's due to leadership now when you transfer that into into uh and a leader is a leader i mean i i consistently believe that if you are competent as a leader uh, uh, then you can transfer that to basically any position right. so you're now you're now um, vying for the top spot in this in this count in this state and uh, and I for one think that that your leadership uh, of, of Metro places you in a really really um, top position uh, to to uh, overturn what we have seen in in the Sislac uh, right government, shall right. we say, lack of leadership. That lack of leadership. So, right. um, is there anything else? Is there is one? Is there one message that you would like to tell our viewers and our listeners when you are? You know, we're coming down to the wire here. Um, you know, election day is 
is very, very close. Yeah. And and I know the polls show you and him pretty close, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, the, the, up until last week, um, we were dead even. It was considered a toss-up. But here in this past week, we've had three um, reliable uh, pollsters come through, and we're up two points. That's great. We're up two points. But, you know, everything's within the margin of error, and the margin of error being three to four points four percent so you still got to keep your nose down grind away and 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 don't take anything for granted so we have we have the definitive ability to be successful in this race because of what you described randy leadership people are attracted to leadership um they have the math advantage the democrats versus the republicans uh, but we're going to surpass that math advantage because they could see me being a leader and being out front and taking the state forward versus relying on people just voting Democrat because you have a D next to your name. Right. This is, this is uh, before we say, say goodbye, Joe, I want, I want to really emphasize the importance of becoming an activist for you. The only way that leadership is going to change in this state or in uh, city councils or any other elected position is for you to get involved for you to talk about these issues with your family with your friends and then show the hell up at the polls don't let your vote be discounted because every vote is critical and that's that's my message too and it's actually the message of my new book too because we have to take our states our cities back and our country back. Get in the ring, right? The proverbial That's it. Roosevelt speech. It's easy to to throw uh, stones from outside the ring, but once you get in the ring, it's a different story. So get in the ring and participate. Thanks so much for uh, for coming in, Joe. I appreciate you taking the time. I know you're just a little bit busy at the moment, but thanks for coming in and sharing <laughs> no, absolutely. your viewpoints with my audience. I'm glad I'm able to get the word out. Great. All right. All right. Thank Take you. care. Thank Best you, of luck. All right, a uh, couple things before we, uh, we get to the news. I want to talk about a topic which is uh, uh, really, really um, important to law enforcement, and that is safety. Um, this is a very weird time where people have become um, uh, very active when it comes down to hunting down police officers on the Internet and harassing them. Uh, the it's called doxing. It's called uh, it's called uh, harassment. It's literally a, a an officer safety issue. Well, there's a company that I want to tell you about. It's called OfficerPrivacy.com, and OfficerPrivacy.com. Um, when I when I met the uh, the creator of this company, who is a retired uh, police official, uh, he showed me just how easy it is to find me and everything I, I, I own and, and even to find where I live through the internet. Well, what officerprivacy.com does is it, it finds a way through, a, and it's a very intensive process, to eliminate a lot of the, uh, the uh, posts and the information that's available. 
And I, th I think this is something that every law enforcement officer needs to take a look at. Officerprivacy.com. It's not expensive. And when you come down to the officer safety issues, it's really, really critical. So go to officerprivacy.com and check it out. I want to also talk about financial safety for law enforcement officers. If you are, if you are a first responder, fire department, uh, EMT, police officer, you are getting a decent salary. You're not going to get rich on your salary, are you? Well, that may not be the case because there is a woman that can show you how you can get financial security and keep that financial security for your family. I am very well acquainted with her. Her name is Laurel Langmire. She is a five-time New York Times best-selling author on wealth creation and wealth retention. This isn't some pie-in-the-sky stuff I'm talking to you about. This is legitimate. I'm going to show you the way that you can secure your financial future, and she is going to be doing it for law enforcement and first responders here in, on October 26th through the 28th in Reno, Nevada. It's called Gen W, Generation Wealth. And here's why this is so important, because I've lived to this nightmare where when a friend of mine was killed in the line of duty, he had recently been divorced and remarried, but he failed to complete all the documents and the documentation necessary so that what he had worked for would, and unfortunately, went to his ex because he didn't prepare. Now, that's a worst-case scenario. But if you are in public safety, Gen W is going to, Laurel Langmire is going to show you how to retain your everything that you have worked for and make sure it goes where you want it to. And get this, if you're a cop, you're a first responder, she's going to do it for free. This is, so she and, and I really recommend that you go as a couple, you bring your significant other and you attend this Gen W and make sure that when you do so, submit two and a half days of, of, will give you peace of mind. Uh, so, and, and I'm going to MC it. She's asked me to MC it. Why? Because she supports law enforcement and she is supporting the wounded blue. She's made the wounded blue her charity of choice. And uh, I can't thank her enough for the opportunity to actually participate in this, to help guide law enforcement and first responders into a financial safety net. So how do you do it? Go to Ask Laurel, that's A-S-K, Ask, but Laurel is L-O-R-A-L, AskLaurel.com slash Randy Sutton. Yeah, I've got my name in there too. AskLaurel.com slash Randy Sutton. Let them know you're, you're a first responder. It's, this is 400 bucks. You will not be charged because she cares about the law enforcement and first responder community. So check that out, and hopefully I'll see you up there in Reno, October 26th through the 28th. All right, let's get back to some of the insanity that is facing the American law enforcement officer. Uh, I, saw, I saw some headlines, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to 
read a couple of them to you, and then I'm going to read you another headline, and we're going to talk about this topic. First of all, this is from Fox News. Biden's border policies fuel fentanyl crisis that's killing thousands of Americans. Biden admin worsened fentanyl crisis by failing to protect our nation's southern border. It takes just two milligrams of fentanyl to kill an adult male. In this year alone, the Border Patrol has already seized over 10,600 pounds of this illicit drug, which means there's enough fentanyl smuggled into this country to kill every single American seven times over. Think about that. Think how how important that statement is. But that's only the fentanyl we've accounted for because we don't know precisely how much fentanyl got past the Border Patrol. Now, here's what we do know. We know that there were more than 100,000 deaths last year due to opioids, and a vast majority of them were fentanyl. This is, this is a massive crisis. And here's the thing. These aren't the accidental overdoses that we used to see where people would take too many pills or they would uh, the the heroin that they got was stronger than they had anticipated and they had an accidental overdose you see fentanyl is being used as a poison to poison the people of America if that sounds like a conspiracy theory it is not the Chinese government is responsible for importing the, the chemicals and precursors needed to manufacture fentanyl. And then the cartels in Mexico have literally have plants all over the country of Mexico where they put these, these chemicals together to create the fentanyl. And then they disguise it as other types of drugs. In fact, uh, the, the the latest targeting they have done is towards children. They, they these these pills look like children's vitamin pills, like the Flintstones vitamins, and they are deadly, and they are killing our children. It is absolutely incredible to me that the Biden administration has basically said, you know what, this is not something we're interested in even discussing. And that is, that is killing more and more Americans. The southern border, of course, is where all of the uh, illicit drugs are coming from. And yet there is, no, there is no national cry for a comprehensive combating of this, of this attack on America. And it is an attack on America. This, this isn't just the accidental... Well, let's let's you know make some money on this drug, and whatever happens happens. No, this is a planned, this is a planned attack, and it is it is attacking our children. And yet, you're not seeing a, a, anything being done on the border. Millions of people are being allowed in without any type of of national response. The border patrol cannot stem this flow without Biden's administration taking a, an active stance. So when I, when I hear this and I see, then believe me, cops across this country 
are witnessing this firsthand. They're the ones who are responding to these horrible death calls where a 13-year-old who took, a, took a, what looked, looked like a, a harmless pill is dead because of it. In my, in my career as a law enforcement officer, being the first person to tell a parent that their child is dead is some of the worst memories I've ever had. They stick in your brain because of, of, the, of the, the cruelty, because of the, 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 the senselessness and the devastation that that family faces. And, and so I, I see this, this crisis taking place before our eyes. And I see a president that doesn't give a damn and doesn't do anything to stem the flow of this poison across America. And then I read this. Senator Schumer calls for $290 million to fight, quote, rainbow fentanyl, unquote, surge. Here's what he says. These traffickers and dealers eyeing New York City for fentanyl rainbow drops are showing all of us their true colors to target kids. Well, no kidding, Senator Schumer. This is from the Staten Island Advance in New York. Senator Chuck Schumer called for $290 million in funding to combat a deadly surge of rainbow fentanyl, pills designed to look like candy that officials are concerned could have a devastating impact on children. The push, said Senator, Senate Majority Leader Schumer, would need to be included in this week's budget to keep pace with the threat, which has prompted a public warning by the Drug Enforcement Agency. Authorities call the latest marketing shift a deliberate effort to drive addictions among younger people with areas devastated by the opioid epidemic, like Staten Island steadily in their crosshairs with a new tactic. Schumer said he plans to continue this funding push this week to keep the government funded against the scourge of the dissemination of rainbow fentanyl. Really, is that... So Schumer calling for $200 million to fight the fentanyl crisis in his state, and yet what is he doing? What is he doing along with the rest of the Democratic Party when it comes down to actually creating a strategy that will save Americans? He's doing nothing. He's doing nothing. This is a headline grabber. He's trying to show that that he is in tune with the crisis, and yet this is this is don't don't hear what I say. Watch what I do, and and this is nothing but a, a showmanship, and has nothing to do with the reality that is facing Americans all over this country who are seeing the devastation of the fentanyl poisoning. Of America. If, if chemicals had been used, such as gas, for instance, that would be seen as an act of war. Well, these chemicals are just as deadly. And the fact that our government is doing nothing 
to stop this this surge is is literally uh, a scourge upon us. And until the people get involved, you and me and our friends and our family, and actively go to the polls and put people in office that care about us. I'm watching this, this race in Pennsylvania. Fetterman, this guy is a raving lunatic. He is, uh, he is completely anti-public safety. He's completely anti-law enforcement. He's completely anti-criminal justice. And he is leading in the polls, which makes me insane. When are we going to fight? When, when are the people in these heavily democratic states going to say, enough is enough? Because until they do, we're going to continue to see out-of-control crime. We saw a videotape that came out this week of a mob of animals that attacked a Wawa store in Philadelphia. The, the video is chilling because clearly this was a planned event. I call it a mass criminality event because it, it encompasses different crimes with a lot of different people that are playing a role in it. You can see from the videotape inside the store that this monstrous mob of people rushes through, literally ransacks and destroys the store, steals everything they can carry, and destroys everything else. And they're having a great time. The, it, the, what's chilling is the smiles on their faces. Like, this is a big, this is a big party. And how did we lose control to the point where this is even possible? Because you have a district attorney named Larry Krasner, who basically prosecutes nothing, holds no one accountable for their criminal activity. You have a exceedingly liberal city council, which does nothing except hamstring the police from doing their jobs. You have a police force that is bleeding people because of the, the, the uh, criminal justice insanity that's taking place. And now you have, it looks like a, some weird Lord of the Flies moment where there is no civility. There is no, there's no civilization. Law enforcement and the criminal justice system is the fabric that holds this nation together. And there is active attacks on the entire criminal justice system in cities across the United States. If we don't unify as a people, we're going to continue to see this degrading of our nation. And we're going to continue to see the body count rise. I was on Fox News last night talking about this topic. And the, that there was a, a study that came out saying that don't believe what you're seeing because actually crime is going down in America. And in reading this quote study, it is, it is true propaganda on every level.
don't believe what you're seeing out there because we're going to paint it in a completely different way. And this is part of the propaganda. This is part of the, the social issues that are, that are um, devastating American law enforcement and the public safety. So I want to talk to you about how you can help because law enforcement officers across this nation are being attacked at levels never seen before. More than 60,000 were physically assaulted last year. Shot, stabbed, beaten, run over, hit with bricks. Many are suffering from mental and emotional injuries as well. It's devastating law enforcement. You can help. Go to thewoundedblue.org. That's thewoundedblue.org. This is a nationwide charitable organization that I founded. Three and a half years ago, we went operational. We've helped more than 16,000 American law enforcement officers. We cannot do this alone. This is how you can help unify the police and the people. Go to thewoundedblue.org. Donate what you can. If you can do 10 bucks a month, 15 bucks a month, whatever you can do, it will help. These are heroes that are walking the streets, serving and protecting. And they need heroes like you to step up and say, we're going to support you. So go to thewoundedblue.org. If you haven't seen our documentary film, go to Amazon.com and punch in the Wounded Blue. It will demonstrate to you a crisis that you don't even know is happening across America. The crisis of the abandonment of law enforcement officers once they become injured and disabled in the line of duty. It's frightening. We need your help. Go to thewoundedblue.org. If you are a business and you want to support with a sponsorship for an event like our upcoming uh, National Law Enforcement Survival Summit, October 11th through the 14th, contact me, Randy, at thewoundedblue.org. If you are a law enforcement officer, go to thewoundedblue.org. There's still some seats left at the Law Enforcement Survival Summit in Terre Haute, Indiana, October 11th through the 14th. If you go... To the, to the registration page and put in the promo code BLUE911. I will waive your registration fee. This is critical, critical, life-saving information. The best presenters in the country will be there. I'll be presenting as well. I'd love to see you there. If you're law enforcement or have been, bring your spouse because when you're hurting, they're hurting too. So go to thewoundedblue.org, go to the events and register right now for the Law Enforcement Survival Summit in Terre Haute, Indiana. At the end of this show, if you've been watching or listening, we pay our respects to the men and women of the profession who have made the ultimate sacrifice and given their lives in the line of duty. It's called End of Watch, and unfortunately, I have several names to read this week. Police Officer Sierra Burton of the Richmond Police Department in Indiana. Police officer Sierra Burton succumbed to a gunshot wound sustained while conducting a traffic stop on August 10th, 2022. Other officers had requested her assistance to stop a moped being driven by a narcotic suspect. Officer Burton had deployed her canine partner who indicated the presence of narcotics in the moped. As officers began to search the vehicle, the man pulled out a concealed handgun and opened fire striking Officer Burton in the head. The man was shot and wounded by other officers before he fled on foot. He was taken into custody. Officer Burton was flown to Miami Valley Hospital where she remained on life support until September 1st. 
She was taken to a hospice facility and succumbed to her wounds September 18th. Police Officer Sierra Burton, Richmond Police Department, Indiana. End of watch. Sunday, September 18th, 2022. Deputy Sheriff Michael Hartwick, Pinellas County Sheriff's Office, Florida. Deputy Sheriff Michael Hartwick succumbed to injuries received when he was struck by a front-end loader at I-275 and Ulmerton Road near the Howard Franklin Bridge, 10.30 p.m. Deputy Hartwick was working an overnight assignment directing traffic for the construction work. He was outside of his cruiser when the front-end loader carrying concrete barriers hit him. The construction worker fled the scene but was apprehended 10 hours later. Another construction worker who helped the subject hide his work vest and, fl and flee was charged with accessory after the fact. Deputy Hartwick has served with Pinellas Sheriffs for 19 years. Deputy Sheriff Michael Hartwick, Pinellas County Sheriff's Office, Florida. End of watch Thursday, September 22nd, 2022. And Master Police Officer Tyrell Owens Riley of the Columbia Police in South Carolina. Master Police Officer Tyrell Owens Riley suffered a fatal heart attack while participating in the physical fitness training portion of the department's SWAT team assessment. He was transported to Providence Hospital after exhibiting symptoms of a heart attack. Once at the hospital, he suffered cardiac arrest, could not be revived. He was a U.S. Marine Corps veteran, has served for over seven years. Master Police Officer Tyrell Owens Riley, Columbia Police Department, South Carolina. End of watch, Saturday. September 24th, 2022. Each of these officers gave their lives in the line of duty, serving and protecting. May they rest in peace. Thank you for joining me on another episode of The Voice for American Law Enforcement here on the America Out Loud Network. And I sincerely love to hear from you. My Facebook page is The Voice for American Law Enforcement. You can contact me personally, Randy, at thewoundedblue.org. I urge you to give to The Wounded Blue and help these men and women because they need heroes like you. Randy Sutton, thanks for joining me. One, nine, one,